Welcome to Jay's Talk across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Streaming live on sportsnet.ca and on the Sportsnet app. Show Ali Ben Shulman with you as we will usually be this weekend, uh, this season on the weekends. We are taking your calls and texts. Phone lines are open. 416-870-0590-1-888-666-0590. Star 590 on your cellular device. 590-590 is where you can text us as well. That's the people's text line. And that is always open if you want to text in during the game. Uh, ben, I will start today with Kevin Gossman. He deserved better. And hey, listeners, your thoughts. Welcome today on him, on the bullpen, the offense, the Schneider managerial decisions, anything. You can reach us on the phones or the text line. But he must be honestly either cursed or one of the most unluckiest pitchers I have ever seen. It's certainly in all of baseball today. Look, after last season, we talked about this on the pregame show, but after last season where the Babbitt monster ate him up, ate him up just all the time, it felt like. Today, a rare defensive mistake by Chapman on a throw he makes in his sleep, costing them the first run, and then just enough of an off-speed pitch at the edge of the zone gets dribbled just past Chapman up the third baseline. I'm not putting it all on Matt Chapman, but Kevin Gosman deserved better. Yeah, I'm not sure if he you know, has a Dave Steve hat in his locker or something like that, but he could not have gotten less support today <laughs> really from the other eight slash nine guys out there with him than he did. You mentioned the error cost him all three of the runs that he allowed, obviously not earned runs. So in terms of stats, at least he still gets to save face there. And the entire time he's out there, his opposing starting pitcher is giving out free passes like nobody's oh, business. Good heavens. And the Blue Jays did not record a single hit while Kevin Gossman was pitching in the game. So I, the good news is it, it's day two of the season and the implications of losing this game are not massive. It, it's more of a positive for me overall that Gosman pitches well. Like it might be worse for August and September if they had won this game but Gosman couldn't figure out the new motion he was doing and had right. trouble with the pitch clock or wasn't locating the splitter. Like he looked great. So hopefully in the future, those types of pitching performances will just translate to more wins. Yeah, 90 strikes for Gosman, 64, pardon wow. me, 90, 90 pitches for Gosman, 64 of them strikes, six innings, eight hits allowed, three runs, none of them earned one walk and seven strikeouts like that. You would take that you'd take that stat line like most of the time I would think. Yeah. I mean, no, no earned runs and seven strikeouts is is good. Pretty much every time Uh, six innings. And he probably could have pitched into the seventh had it not been for the error, which ends up costing him multiple batters uh, and lots of pitches. So yeah, overall, I mean, that's, that's a really good, a really good start from Kevin Gosman. And that's the way baseball works. Sometimes Alec Manoa has one of the worst starts of his career. Blue Jays win Kevin Gosman puts out a start that you take every five days. Blue Jays lose. Let's just spend a couple minutes here talking about Jack Flaherty, just because that, that is, I, I, I feel like I haven't seen that many walks in a Blue Jays game by an opposing pitcher for the guy to not allow a single hit. He was carrying the, I think he, he I think he left the game without a single hit. I think he was, there was yeah. still a combined no hitter was going on until very, until what Kiermaier got a hit very in the seventh inning or something. It felt like, I mean, here's what, here's what happened. Like, it almost felt like, uh, you know, that scene in breaking bad. Have you ever watched, ever watched breaking bad? 
I have not the whole show, which I think would get me even more flack than had I never watched it at all. <laughs> I, I only bring it up because there's a scene at the, that is pretty crazy that you watched part of that. Part of not again, all, yeah. Because it's, it's so good. But uh, there's a part towards the end where Jesse Pinkman, he like, it's like a pretty pretty famous gif, I think, at this point. He just screams, like, he can't keep getting away with it, right? That That's what it made me feel like watching Flaherty today. Like He walks three guys in the first inning no runs allowed he walks a guy and hits a batter in the second inning i believe it was biggio in the second no runs allowed he walks two more in a third no runs allowed walks another guy in the fourth and still didn't i think it was the leadoff batter who gets walked and he still doesn't allow a run it just it doesn't look particularly great either for brandon belt that he was the guy with the bases loaded and with two on with two outs both situations and got k'd both times but still flaherty he got away with it yeah, it, it it kind of immediately made me think of the uh, the Edwin Jackson no hitter all all those years ago. I think it was 2010. He, he walked eight guys through 149 pitches and had a no hitter. Now you just simply wouldn't be allowed to do that by your team anymore. But yeah, it's weird because it it feels like they were really seeing Fla- Flaherty's pitches well. I mean that's that's what seven walks and a hit batter would indicate is that they know what's coming out of his hand. They're not being fooled by some of those strike to ball off speed pitches. And at the same time, they couldn't square any of them up. I mean, it's some near misses, some balls fouled straight back uh, and way too early to mark it down as an issue this year. But this was, you know, kind of the overarching issue early on last year. Can they hit with runners in scoring position? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, oh, for 11 today. Let's get to the phone lines and continue our conversation with the callers, 416-870-0591-888-666-590, star 590 on your cell. Jim calling in from Hamilton. Jim, I think you're in agreement with us. Some uh, some questionable swings today so far. Good day, gentlemen. Um, and not just this game. It also goes back to last season and even yesterday's game. There are a couple of players. and I, I like to know what's the advantage versus the disadvantage of doing this, of swinging on the first pitch and getting out and not wearing down the opposing pitcher instead of taking four or five pitches. So uh, that's an interesting question. Thanks so much, by the way, for the call. It's, it's kind of, I I think there are two arguments here. So swinging at the first pitch pretty universally major league baseball as a whole has its highest batting average on the first pitch. It's so important for a pitcher to get ahead. Owen one, They'll talk about that a lot, that it is, you know, a likely strike. There are a few times where you can bank on a strike at the same time, though, like you said, if you swing and get out, you're letting the pitcher off easy. So there's definitely, I kind of think you have to match it to each guy, what type of hitter they are. Bo Bichette hits for an incredibly high average on the first pitch and for his whole career has swung at a bunch of first pitches and that is for his whole career has hit really well. So he should swing at the first pitch. Kevin Biggio, you know, he wants to walk a lot. He shouldn't swing at a ton of first pitches. So it is one of those things where I, I don't think you can go to either pole, have all your guys never swinging at the first pitch or have everyone always swinging at the first pitch. Uh, but it's also a thing that looks really good when it works and doesn't look great when it's not, when you're, when your team's swinging at a lot of early counts and they're not getting results from it that's usually when you hope they might make an adjustment and say, okay, it's not our best day. Let's try and wear out Flaherty. I do think they took a lot of pitches today though, as evidenced by the 10 walks. Yeah. Yeah. It just didn't work out. Didn't work out. Like one, 
One situation sticks out particularly particularly to me, which was late in the game, in the top of the ninth inning. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. comes to the plate, and he has a chance with two on. I think there was a guy in first and third, and he has a yeah. chance to effectively uh, tie the game because uh, they were down 4-1 at this point. And he got fooled when he got struck out by Ryan Helsley. Like, Helsley is also, I, I think he's a very good reliever, but he was he got set up by those fastballs, right? Like, and, he, he, yeah. and, and last, last year's Vladdy Ben, I felt like, maybe would have swung at one of those first couple of pitches. And this year's Vladdy did not, which is, I suppose, uh, a bit of a silver lining. Like, I know moral victories don't mean a whole ton, but especially when you lose by multiple runs. But he was ahead in the count 2 nothing, And then he goes down 2-2 to a pair of, I think, 97-mile-an-hour fastballs. He fouls one off to stay alive. And then he swings the slider and, and is done. And I just, I like to think he knows better. But I, that was a good piece of work by Helsley to get one of the more dangerous hitters, I think. Yeah, and it's tough. I mean, it, as much as you can know when a guy's throwing 98, like you have to load up a little bit. And I think it, it's hard because covering the outside part of the plate is one of the big things that you'd like to see Vladimir Guerrero improve on from right. last year. It was, hey, he's hitting so many ground balls. A big reason why was they were pitching him low and away, and he was hitting those on the ground. So you understand him being anxious or maybe over anxious covering that outside corner but yeah Helsley really got him after an at-bat started 2-0 I thought maybe they'd pitch around Vladdy and take their chances with what was coming next Uh, Helsley quickly made up for his Thursday errors giving up the lead and uh, dominantly put Vladdy away absolutely yeah it was to see to see the result from Helsley after what happened on Thursday. It wasn't surprising because again, no. he is a talented pitcher. I was actually kind of surprised though. And you and I were talking about this off air. I was kind of surprised to see them use Helsley for, you know, a, what a five out save. Yeah, it was, it was not something you see from him too often. Having said that, well, you and I spoke to Derek gold from the St. Louis post dispatch in the pregame show. And he said that they are without Giovanni Gallegos, who is effectively their closer. So without Gallegos, I guess they had no choice, but yeah. it seemed to work out pretty well for them, I suppose. Yeah, for them, I, I they have to be pretty happy. You know, two days after their bullpen really imploded on them and their starter got hit in the first inning. I mean, Flaherty, again, was not as sharp as today, but pitched five scoreless. And with the exception of Jordan Hicks, who forced them into having to use Helsley in the eighth inning, they had a really good day out of the pen. Bullpen looked really good for the Cardinals. And I think another thing, too, you know, early in the season and – a, a frustrating Blue Jays game, I can imagine, for a, a lot of fans watching and listening. Cardinals are a very good team. So they're they're picking up 90-something wins this year, just like the Blue Jays are trying to. Let's go back to the phone lines. 416-870-0590, 590 star 590 on your cellular device. Jennifer calling in from Toronto. Jennifer, welcome to Jays Talk. Oh, hello. Welcome to, is this the first or second Jay's talk? The second Jay's talk. Larry and Barker have it on the weekdays, but uh, Ben and I will usually oh, have yeah, it Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, just yeah. Uh, missed uh, the first yeah, uh, Jay's talk on uh, Thursday. Two, two comments. Skelton looked fine. I, 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 I saw shades of, you know, where he throws his uh, pitch low and outside and a left-handed batter, flicks it down the third baseline. It happened twice in a row, and some mediocre team did that to him last year, but then he settled down and he's fine with the box and everything for the life of me. And this is not just based on today's game. We have Maryfield, Espinal, and um, Biggio. Biggio 
I am not a fan. I mean, you don't want him uh, batting against a flamethrower. He's not performed since 2019. Why at least not take Vigio's for defensive reasons after he just had his last at bat and put Espinal in? I don't want to see this split up three ways between Whitmerfield, Vigio, and uh, Espinal. Espinal could be a short, a starting shortstop. And I, I, I think there's some favoritism or whatever. If he wasn't left-handed, I don't know where Bishy will be playing. Jennifer, appreciate the call. Thanks for calling into Jay's talk. Yeah, I, I, you know what? That's a great point by Jennifer in, in the sense of it's something you and I discussed during the game, Ben, but Vigio batting in the top of the eighth inning. Runners on second and third with two outs. And the idea of letting Vigio hit in that situation, like he had admittedly been on base twice. One of those was when he was hit by a pitch. But why not let Whit Merrifield or Espinal or even Kirk, who was not in this game, hit for him in that spot. It's it's just, it is a lot of faith. Like it's a lot of faith to be shown in a guy who, as Jennifer says, has not necessarily produced to the level you would to a level where you would feel that confident and have that much faith in, in any player. It's not to like crap on Biggio specifically, but it's just that any player who has not produced since as Jennifer says, 2019 in, in more than spurts, it is kind of hard to see why he would be left in there. Now, again, maybe maybe it's early in the season. It's not going to like make or break the Blue Jays season to let him hit in that spot. But at the same time, I was a little confused as to why, let's say, even even if it's not Kirk, why it's not an Espinal or a Merrifield, both of whom tend to have better batting averages than Biggio has in that spot anyways. Yeah, and that, in that specific spot, I was pretty surprised because uh, at the time that we're talking about in that eighth inning, a single would have tied the game. So I, I, I understand. I, I do think, unfortunately, Jennifer, it is going to be split three ways as much as, as yeah, uh, yeah. you were against that. I do think that they will split it three ways, but it, it felt like a situation where clearly the other two options, there's better hitters for average. I, I'm not sure I'm actually committing that Santiago Espinal is a better offensive player than Biggio. Right. I think his batting average makes that argument look a lot different than it is once you look at walks and hitting for power and all that stuff. But yeah, I, I would agree that in the eighth, I thought, why why keep him up here when a single is going to win you the game? And even at his best, he's not a high average hitter. Um, and then, yeah, I, I could see, I mean, to Jennifer's point, if you're going to carry three different second basemen and you have Santiago Espinal there at your disposal, yeah. why not? Then again, you don't defensively replace a ton in a game where you're trailing. Yeah, I'm true. not saying that's the right thing to do. I'm just saying it doesn't happen all that often. And I... I don't really put blame on Biggio for that. I mean, he made a diving stop on that play where the ball bounces, and it was pickable. Like it, it could have been scooped. You're so. talking about the play where the play, I'm assuming that because right, yeah, she yeah. had said, "Hey, you want why not defensively replace?" Right, right. I'm assuming it's a reaction to then that play comes after with the bounce throw. Yeah, on Biggio's defense, he dives, picks it up off the ground, and gave Vladdy a chance. Far be for me to, to nitpick on Vladdy, who literally won a gold glove last year. So yeah. I'm, not, I mean, they're literally giving away a Vladdy gold glove bobblehead in like oh, yeah. a couple of weeks. So I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying he should, he should, he should stop doing what he's doing, but I do, I did kind of wonder in the moment if the splits on that particular play were that necessary. Like Jordan Walker, young guy, speedy guy, but when he did the splits and again, this is kind of hindsight, so I, I get it, but yeah. he was not close to the bag. Like it, he wasn't, he wasn't so close to the bag that I thought Vladdy needed to do the splits to get that ball. And I think ultimately kind of looked like 
like his his own leg almost got in his way. Well, that was the thing. He was fighting like he leads with his left leg. Right. The ball bounced to his left. All of a sudden, because he put the left leg so far in front of him, he was fighting with his knee to try and scoop. And again, neither of us are here. You know, I, I played first base for the Thornhill Reds, not the Toronto Blue Jays. <laughs> but I'm sure you were very good. I will say picking balls by far the only thing I've ever been good at in baseball, like easily my best thing, but he, he plays an unorthodox first because he's new to the position or new ish, you know, not that new anymore, but he was late to the position switched over in his twenties already. And the splits are kind of are like a dive in the outfield. It always looks good. A lot of the time it is good. Occasionally it actually works against you though. Occasionally you think you need to do it, but you don't. And so, yeah, I guess Biggio, I, I do get the complaint. I don't understand why late in the game he would say in, in what felt like such an obvious singles spot. But I do, I would ask you to take a little bit more of a flyer on him. I think, Jennifer, he might surprise you. All right. Maybe we do see more Biggio getting more opportunities, uh, maybe as soon as tomorrow, as the Blue Jays uh, will play again to wrap up the series. The rubber match, one of my favorite baseball terms. The it's rubber a great match. term. Yeah. I have no idea what the origin what, is. Yeah, I have no idea. Let me see. I'll find, I'll okay, find we'll, we'll, we'll check on that in the break. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we will get back to the text line as well. I see a couple of texts here. I like uh, this, this suggestion from Mark from Thorold. They like discussing these kinds of things. So we'll get to the text line after the break. You're listening to Jay's Talk, brought to you by Crown Rust Protection across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to Jay's Talk, brought to you by Crown Rust Protection across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Show Ali, Ben Shulman with you. Taking your calls and texts. Phone lines open, 416-870-0590, star 590 on your cellular device. Get over to the People's Text Line in a very quick moment, 590-590. Name and location, please is where you can text us. Uh, ben, time for the Major League Standings Watch, presented by Bet365. You can watch thousands of live games, build your own bet, and you can even make a bet while the game's still being played. 19+, plus, play responsibly, Ontario only. So let's take a look at the AL East. And, I mean, look, it's... Hugely it's, anticipated yeah. <laughs> standings update today. <laughs> I know. It's, uh, it's, it's so early in the season. Um, it kind of looks so far... Again, because all the teams except for the Red Sox are 1-0 entering today's game. And, of course, the Baltimore Orioles are playing the Red Sox. So the Red Sox, by nature, would be 0-1 <laughs> after <laughs> after the game or to start the season. I'm just looking at the scores right now. Orioles currently leading the Red Sox 7-3. to Chris Sale getting beat up in his yeah. first start of the season. My Got goodness. Rocked Ooh. early on. Yeah, Ryan Mountcastle and Austin Hayes, I think, both going deep in the very first inning. So, Chris Sale, I mean, like, look, the guys had some injury injury concerns. Uh, I don't think anyone's feeling uh, too bad for Chris Sale, unfortunately. Uh, you look elsewhere, Giants-Yankees, uh, the Yanks leading the Giants 2-1. to one. I think the first run from that game was an Aaron Judge scoring on an error, not a home yes. run, but Aaron Judge scoring from third on an error. And uh, Tigers... Rays at the top. The Rays are leading now eight nothing. They just scored another run. So there you go. So the Rays uh putting a beating on Spencer Turnbull and the Detroit Tigers, which basically means like let's say those scores hold. Yankees will win, Orioles will win, Rays will win. The Jays will be, I suppose, in fourth place after game two of the season. Not that it matters, no. but uh but that's a 
that's pretty remarkable. Although, hey, look, the, I, I sound, I'm going to sound like a Blue Jays apologist here, but <laughs> but absolutely, the Orioles getting to beat up on the Red Sox, a team that the Blue Jays also beat up on last year, and the Rays getting to beat up on the Tigers, not the same thing as the Blue Jays playing the Cardinals. No, no. These things even out yeah. throughout the year, and that's, <laughs> you know, last year, the Red Sox got off to this crazy hot start. Sometimes uh, the schedule, I haven't looked at, at exactly how some of the pockets of the schedule are looking this year where some of the runs might come, but uh, win streaks aren't always as coincidental as they might seem. You know, you, you play a certain number of teams in a row that are of a certain caliber and you end up with a lot of wins. Speaking of, you know, how important the standings are right now. Do you know the one team in major league baseball that has two wins? There's only one team currently oh, with gosh. two wins. I, uh, I have no idea. It's probably a bad team. It, is a, it is a bad team. <laughs> Lay it on me. <laughs> it is the Colorado Rockies. <laughs> they are the only team and the Padres are 0-2. Wow. How about that? There you go. Early season baseball at its yes. fine. That's uh, not to, not something you might expect to be the same or the case by the end of the season, but uh, not, not a super huge surprise <laughs> to start uh, 2023. Uh, let's go to the text line really quickly here, Ben. I see a text from, uh, well, Kyle from Hamilton agreeing with us. When Biggio came up in the eighth, it felt like a pinch hit opportunity. Was there a bat on the bench that would have made sense to come in there? I, I wouldn't have mind seeing Kirk come in, frankly. Like he has a bit of a history in his relatively short career seeing, uh, coming off the bench and pinch hitting before, even before they started doing the two catcher thing last season. Uh, and then you could have just replaced Jansen and moved some things around a little bit here. Right. But uh, they, they chose not to clearly because they, we, like we were talking about, they believed in Biggio, but you could have gone Merrifield Espinal either if you wanted to not, not bring in Kirk. Yeah. Yeah. You, you said it. I mean, Kirk, if you wanted to go for the best average option, he was there. And then even if you didn't want to use your catcher for purely hitting singles, which is what they needed in that spot, a single ties the game, both Espinal and Merrifield hit for higher averages. I see a text here from, uh, let's see, Ryan in Orangeville with some uh, some a measured reply, let's say. Okay. He says, it's a little disappointing that Springer fell off his 800-hit pace in only the <laughs> second game of the season. All joking aside, these games are going to happen. A couple hits early in the game with runners on base. This is a different game altogether. Oh, Joey in North Battleford says... I think it's the rubber match because it's like an elastic band could bend either way, <laughs> which you well, know what? Like I, that's not a terrible interpretation. You, I think you did find out the real interpretation in the break there. Yeah. it's uh it's origins come from like everyone guessed 16th century English lawn bowling. <laughs> uh, it has nothing to do with rubber. It has everything to do with uh, it's kind of like bocce bowl, English lawn bowling okay, or right. English lawn darts I've seen online. And so it, it if two balls are like touching or rubbing together, then you have to do the rubber match. So it, it actually is just like complete slang, nothing to do with rubber. I guess I don't, this might make me look dumb. Like, I don't know when rubber was invented, but this, this feels way pre-rubber, <laughs> pre-rubber, yes. way pre-rubber. It's funny that it's, it's funny that the term it comes from rubbing and not the actual, yeah. not the actual <laughs> substance material of rubber. That's pretty funny, but Hey, Joey, you're close. I, I, I like the, I like the creativity. I like it. I see uh, Markham Thorold. I, I alluded to this one before the break. I know it's only a couple of games, but I'm going to go by his career. Any thoughts of having Kiermaier bat first? He seems to be the type of catalyst and the leader this team needs. Uh, why I can't wait to see what he can do. Bat him ninth. Bat him first. Why wait? So, okay, I, I think I like having Kiermaier in the lower third because if he's healthy, if he gets back to what he was when when he was uh, winning gold gloves and so on and for the Rays, I feel as though you're going to like having his presence at the bottom of the order. 
it's also I just I feel like if with George Springer specifically, who is obviously your like built in lead lead off hitter on, on just until he chooses not to be be right, because that's just where he is. I think that's where he is batted virtually his entire career, even going back to Houston, I want to say. And yeah, he clearly is very comfortable there. Yeah, I will say, I mean, George Springer is one of the greatest leadoff hitters probably of all time. He's he's likely going to end his career with the most home runs out of the leadoff spot ever, which isn't the only measure of a leadoff sure. hitter. For most of baseball history, it wasn't even a measure of a leadoff hitter. But I think they probably won't move Kiermaier to one. However, by hitting him nine, they are essentially saying he's our, like, second best one hitter option. Like, the guy you hit, once the game starts, nine and one are almost the same thing. You go through the lineup once, then all of a sudden it's Kiermaier hitting in front of Springer and Vlad and Bo. So I think probably, look, it's it's no offense to Kevin Kiermaier, who's off to a great start. He's not the caliber of offensive player of some of the guys they have in the top four or five. He still, you know, can be a very effective and has been a very effective offensive player. Um, I, I just think probably... You hit him in the nine spot. His defense, like you said, is what really kind of earns his contract. And then everything you get offensively is a bonus. And right now it's a big bonus. Let's go to the phone lines before we uh, say goodbye here, Ben. 416 870 star 590 on your cell. Wyatt calling in from London. And, and Wyatt, I see a couple of texts here. Um, I see one from San and Ma- Sam in Manitoba that says, you guys keep seeing that John Schneider is a smart manager. I haven't seen it yet. Yannick from Whitby says, uh, the large number of runners left on base scoring position, should this be of concern for Schneider? And I see the note here that you also feel as though Schneider has made some questionable in-game decisions. Can you can you elaborate for us? Well, this is the first chance I've had to talk to you guys since last uh, the collapse of the wildcard oof, game. Oof. And... <laughs> That raised so many questions for me. Um, why was Kikuchi on the roster instead of Zimmer? Has anybody actually entered that? I don't think so. Not directly, at least. Because, I mean, Zimmer is built for late and close games in center field, right? And we had Tapia in there, too. Like, I don't know where the decisions are coming from. Atkins is clearly a smart egg. I mean, so... Like, where is it coming from? Why wasn't Kirk hitting there? And why isn't Bo Bichette moved to second base? Wyatt, appreciate the call. Thank you for calling into Jay's talk. I, I really do think as far as the Bo hitting, pardon me, Bo playing at second base thing, I really do think it's simply because the the organization, from from all of their actions, clearly believes that there are no other shortstops available that you could go out and get that are as good as Bo Bichette. Like, I think, I think, like, don't get me wrong. If, if they had the ability to go out and get, like, a Trey Turner, who is probably one of, like, the top, I don't know, like, five most talented players in all of Major League Baseball, right? If, if, so if you, if they could, if that was a real possibility, they would probably move Bo to, sh- to second, and I, he probably would move as well. Having said that, that's not a possibility. No. And if that's, if that's the case, then they're probably, they're, like, there are no other players. Like, you're not moving Bo to second for, like, Dansby Swanson as a free agent. Like, that's not to crap on Swanson, but like you'd rather I think have Bo Bichette or Xander Bogarts at this stage of his career, maybe could maybe make the argument, but he was always going to get like whatever, 350 to $400 million. So I guess my point is the organization, Ben clearly views Bo long-term as a shortstop. And, and I guess why it is alluding to some of the mistakes that he's made to, to relatively relative to the beginning of the season, like the throw on, uh, on Thursday. But ultimately I think this, you're, probably going to have to live and die with Bo Bichette as your shortstop long-term. 
Yeah. I mean, first, you know, that one doesn't really reflect on Schneider. He's been a shortstop long before yes. John Schneider was the manager of the team. And look, there's a, there's a lot of things that go into that. First of all, he'll never get better at shortstop. If you put him at second base, if you put him at second base, I, I know sometimes it's hard to conceive this, but it really hits his value. Like part of the reason he's so valuable is that there are just not shortstops that do what he does. He out hit Francisco Lindor last year, a guy who makes 30 something million dollars a year. So I think, you know, I understand the frustration on that one, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's hard for every team right now who has a 25 or younger shortstop. Like there just aren't that many. Yeah, so that's yeah. why sometimes I think it, it looks to people like you don't see other teams doing this. Few contending teams have 25 year old shortstops good enough to play. And then on the other decision-making stuff. Yes, I, I agree, but I guess to go to some of the texts, like what, what is the impact of Schneider? Look, He's only managed, granted, what's that was the 76th game yeah. of his career. Yeah. Now, I will say, if you're saying where is the proof of, of Schneider's decision-making, you know, it was a 500 team, basically, for half the season before he was the manager. They went 46 and 28 in the 74 games that he managed, which was an 100-win pace. So I, I'm not, I don't, I actively disagreed with the decision he made today. I'm not saying I agree with every decision he makes, the overall sample size so far, which is a small one, albeit has been pretty friendly to him, but look, there's a lot of people making the decisions too. It'll be interesting to hear, you know, if he gets asked about that, Don Mattingly, we assume has, you know, some hands in here as a guy who not only, you know, is an incredibly notable player, but a former manager himself. It's interesting. It's, you know, there are a lot of times when decisions look great and a lot of time when they look terrible. And most of the time it's because of how they turned out, not because of how smart the decision was this time. It didn't work out. And, and I think all of us, you know, disagree with it, but let's not pretend that if Kevin Biggio hit a double, we wouldn't all be here saying that he, <laughs> he did a great job. So it's tough, but it, it, you know, it's game two. It's a little tough to, to pinpoint decision-making impacting wins and losses. So so early on I had seen also you know the well to go back to the text from from Ryan in Orangeville you know I I tend to also fall on that side of things where if if some just a handful of things change if belt gets one single with the bases loaded in the first inning the game probably ends in a different way if belt if belt gets another single in the third inning the game also probably ends a different way right yeah. if if laddie doesn't strike out in the ninth inning maybe maybe a run scores and maybe helsley is pulled i don't know you know what i mean like the the ripple effect in baseball we all know can be pretty uh pretty steep right it can be pretty pretty huge but i don't know it, it's 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 it wasn't as though it was such an insane decision today like like the whole like shoemaker being pulled type of thing right <laughs> from yeah. a couple of years ago like it's not we're not quite at that level i'd say well, and it was you know in the eighth inning a chance with two outs to maybe get a single to tie the game it wasn't like bottom of the ninth you know they're down by one or whatever vladdy's on the bench like there was no guarantee anything was going to happen there at the end of the day you know there are games sometimes that feel lost on managerial decisions this more felt lost on them not getting a hit until the seventh, making a three-run error, and and just you know not hitting really at the end of the day. The 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 hitting for me felt like a much bigger contributor to the winning and losing than the decision. And yes, this was one hitting decision with Biggio specifically, but you know, they had twenty-seven outs to work with today, and twenty-six of them outside of that eighth inning at bat.
Uh, we have some John Schneider audio. Okay, let's hear. John spoke to the media after the ball game. So here's Schneider speaking on what transpired, including some of his decision making uh, during today's 4 1 loss to the Cardinals. What we were talking about pregame, or were your, your thoughts on that? More tough luck for him? Yeah, I mean, I thought, first of all, he threw the ball outstandingly well, if that's the right phrase. Um, I think, you know, just a really uncommon error from Chappie, and then. Of course, off the cap down the line leads to two more. But yeah, it's kind of, um, yeah, you don't want it to be like that. It's almost like you'd rather have a, a bowl in the gap. But uh, yeah, tough luck right there for Dawson. What did you think of his split? I thought it was good. You know, I think conditions are probably tough for that pitch a little bit, but I thought it was on. I thought his fastball was really, really good. Um, kind of just a typical outing for him. He was kind of in total control, didn't let anything phase him. Um, you know, great first start. You talked about how he's fairly even field. How does he handle days like this when he's pitching well and the result isn't? He's he's good. You know, he's out there trying to win. You know what I mean? He's not thinking about a bad play or a good play behind him. He's he's about as even as they get. So um, no panic whatsoever. He's he'll be ready to roll his next start. He's he's good. John, a lot of walks, a lot of base runners. Is that? Example of even though you don't get results, it's the type of plate appearances you'd like to see? Yeah, I mean, I think it was about seven walks and a hit by pitch from Flaherty through five. Um, yeah, weird. Just didn't get the hit when we needed to. But um, approach was good. Tough to kind of, you know, it's weird like you're sitting around waiting, sitting around waiting, and you kind of need someone to get the hit. We just didn't get it today. But yeah, I thought the approach was good. Um, kind of carried over a little bit. Kind of extreme games, the first and the second between 19 hits and just a couple today. But uh, if we can stick with that approach, that's a, good, that's a good thing. That is John Schneider speaking to the media. So he talked about Chapman, talked about Gosman a little bit. He doesn't seem to be overly concerned. At the very least, for those two, I would not say I'm overly concerned either. Like I think we, we were talking about the, the way the rotation lines up for the rest of the coming week, I suppose. So we're going to see Bassett tomorrow. We're going to see, uh, I guess, no, pardon me, Barrios on Monday, Kikuchi on Tuesday. It's a four-gamer against... Uh, KC. So then we're going to start over and see Manoa and Gosman the last two games against KC, which I would uh, expect against the Royals. <laughs> they bounce back. <laughs> like I, Probably. I would be, I'd I be mean, surprised. I remember that Royals series last year when they they had the most like replacement players, guys that couldn't travel over the border, and they came and took two out of four in Toronto. That is true. But That's yeah, true. they'll probably be fine. And I mean, I, I can understand. You know, it day to day. They lost today, so it doesn't feel good. But I think John Schneider probably sees that overall with how well Kevin Gosman fared today in poor conditions, you know, with not a bad second half last year, but just shakier than his first half with the new motion that he has to make sure he has down because of the Bach rules. This was, I think, an overall positive day for the Blue Jays, even if it doesn't feel like it, because the implication of Gosman pitching at this level going forward is huge. Yeah, Gosman, look, he, I, my bold prediction for the season for Gosman was that he would win the AL Cy Young. So, so I mean, look, he three unearned runs and seven strikeouts. You, I would still take that. It's just the offense. He gets even a smidge of run support. He's there. The Blue Jays, if not win this game, he's not going to like take a loss or he, it would look much better ultimately. But uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not overly concerned about Gosman Steph from Quebec city texted in to say we lost one game uh, of two against one of the best teams in major league baseball. And some people already blame the coach. Come on guys. So yeah, I mean, again, the <laughs> you know, cards... Ollie Marmel gets paid too to, to manage That's the St. Louis Cardinals. <laughs> that is very true. Uh, Nicholas in Saskatchewan says can't win them all, but it sure would be nice to go one sixty one and one. Uh, question: <laughs> How do you think Bassett will do tomorrow? 
Oh, uh, you know, tough to tell, but he's a pretty consistent guy. So, I, you know, I, I would lean positive, uh, a consistently strong pitcher, but I guess temper some expectations because a lot of talk about it. Very particular guy still, you know, in a new relationship. This will be his first real game, but I'm expecting strong things. I know like not really relevant to either market involved, but two randomly former New York pitchers and former Mets pitcher Bassett going up against the former Yankee, mm, Jordan Montgomery. So that's true. probably last time they faced a lot more heated of a, of a matchup than they get, you know, with a Canadian team in Missouri. Yeah, it's true. Maybe one of those games was likely at either the, in the Bronx or at city field. Yeah. And uh, you <laughs> probably get a lot more booze at uh, effectively both of them, in, uh, oh, depending yeah. on where that game was. It's true. The Bassett is interesting to me, Ben, because he is one of the few pitchers who I feel like you can accurately say that he throws like eight pitches. Yes. Like I know we kind of live in a, in a world where like he throws the slurve or whatever. And like, these are like, I like they're they're real pitches obviously, but they're like, people make up so many kinds of pitches for trips and so on. Positionless basketball era (laughs) where we're almost, we're being let down by like curveball. Now, you know, it's like a guy throws like three different types of curveballs, and he doesn't really name them. He's just like this one. And then the <laughs> the one that's a little more vertical and stuff like that, but we have to call them slurves and stuff. Yeah, slurve a sweeping slider. Yeah, like <laughs> to keep, we have to remember somehow they know it all. And and, and I think I just find it fascinating because I, I almost feel like we like, cheat a little bit when it gets to all the like the pitches that are for like ninety nine percent of the time they're very similar, and then they yeah. throw it like just a little differently, and you call it by a different name. For Bassett specifically, I actually do think he throws like eight distinct pitches yes. effectively, which yeah. I've, which is like very impressive because I mean, I can't, I can't say that very many pitchers in major league baseball can do that. Right. So no. I am, I am very much looking forward to seeing Bassett. You mentioned he's a particular guy. I think we, I remember in spring training uh, before one of his starts, he basically talked about how he has very, very specific uh, things he wants catchers to do in terms of where he wants them to set up on certain pitches. And he basically directs them a lot more than maybe a, a whole bunch of other pitchers do. I'm sure a lot of pitchers are particular, but he does it a, a lot more. I do kind of wonder if that basically tells us that Danny Jansen will catch tomorrow. If oh, I only bring that up because Kirk was late to training camp, right? Like I wonder if like I, I do kind of wonder if someone like that is so particular, if maybe Kirk's, uh, lateness for obviously a very good reason. His wife gave birth to their first child, which is awesome to hear a healthy baby. But because he was late to camp, I do kind of wonder if maybe Bassett early on ended up gaining some kind of rapport with Jansen or maybe spring training in the action Kirk had was enough to catch up. We'll see tomorrow when the lineups come out, but I am interested to see what kind of rapport he has with either Danny Jansen or Alejandro Kirk. Yeah, I think you're on to it where it feels like Jansen, at least to start the year, would be the guy. But we talked about it a lot. It would be great if it wasn't a full personal catcher situation because you just never know with health what's yeah. going to happen there. And and it happened, you know, both ways with Jansen and Kirk last year, whether it be, you know, Manoa who pitches a lot to Kirk or some of the other guys who pitched to Ryu, Jansen. Ryu always Ryu, had a, yeah, as a Jansen guy. Um, I think Gosman, at least at the beginning of his Blue Jay career, was pretty overwhelmingly Jansen at one point. Right, yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll see, but I'm interested too. He, he also was a guy who tried reverse engineering the pitch com and calling his own pitches in spring training. Is he going to do that tomorrow? If he does, it'll be the first time I've watched a guy do that for a full game. So that would be very interesting to see. I thought that was fascinating watching Manoa do it. And I don't, I don't know if you saw on opening night, 
Oh yeah, uh, for, with with, uh, with Otani also doing it, and, and allegedly, like, I, well, not allegedly. I guess you could see that <laughs> he, he, he could see him do it, but he had the pitchcom device under his sleeve, and he was, and so he he basically like memorized where all the buttons were and what they did, so he could like type it out under his, like, you just put his hand under his sleeve and then type it into the pitchcom device, and then the catcher would hear the directions. I just thought that was, it just, it just kind of felt like another one of those, like, the legend of Shohei Otani yeah. grows <laughs> type of stories, because I think he had, like, what, he had, like, 10 strikeouts in the game. They still lost the game somehow. Well, have you, have you seen Semi-Pro? The, yes, uh, yes. It's like Jackie Moon, where he plays power forward, <laughs> does the introductions, and owns the team. It's like, Shohei, he hits, you know, he hits cleanup, he pitches, he calls, calls the pitches, pitches yeah. he's the manager, he runs down to third base to give everyone the signs, and then he takes his own signs back at the plate. Yeah, he, I mean, he's awesome. Although I will say, I'm, I'm very interested to see the pitch comp thing from the pitcher side, because I'm not sure. I'm much of a believer in it yet, so okay. willing to be converted but uh, don't really get it as of right now. Uh, before we go, Ben, real quick, this is another speedy ball game. The pitch clock oh, yeah. in action again. I shouldn't say another because the first game was not a speedy ball game, no. but I think there's a real chance that that game was like 338, the first game one on Thursday. 19 hits or yeah. 19 runs and 34 hits. That game <laughs> probably would have been like a five-hour ball game if not for the pitch clock. So today, that today's yeah. was around two and a half hours. Eh, you know what? I'll take it. I'll take. I think we. I, I'm of the opinion that we lose. We, what we have lost with the pitch clock is just all the non-baseball things. Yeah, I mean, we've we, you know we've taken a 45 minute drive. We haven't removed any of the scenery on the side of the road. It's just all the traffic in the middle that no one liked anyway. It's uh, a good way of putting it. I yeah. do not like sitting in traffic, even though I'll probably do that once we get out of here in a couple yes, minutes. Yeah. Uh, that's okay. Um, this was fun, Ben. We'll do it again tomorrow. Yeah, looking forward to it. Should be another fun one uh, coming up here with the Bassett debut. That is Ben Shulman. Thanks for listening to Blue Jays Baseball, brought to you by Crown Rust Protection. Did you know that spring is the best time of year to protect your vehicle from rust? Find out why and book your appointment today at crown.com. Crown, Canada's number one rust protection. For Ben Wagner, Ben Shulman, Tom Young, Nick Blackmore, Neil Ustin as well. I'm Show Ali. That does it for Jay's Talk. Appreciate the interaction as always. Jay's wrapping up a 4-1 loss to the Cardinals. Ben and I are back up to wrap up the series tomorrow with the pregame show and more Jay's Talk. Chris Bassett will be on the mound. We'll talk to you then.